Hello, welcome back to the Be Unbound podcast. This is Abe Chen with my co-host, David. David, uh, today we are talking about quitting. Uh, you want to explain more about that? <laughs> I will provide a bit more context. Uh, in this episode of Unbound Talks, I will be sitting down with some of the Unbound staff to talk about this recent phenomenon that has gained some headlines recently called quiet quitting. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's uh, well something that we'll talk a little bit more about and try to define a bit better in the episode, but essentially a phenomenon uh, that has come up recently of employees basically saying that they are limit- limiting their uh, efforts and responsiveness in work to dedicated work hours, and there are conflicting opinions as to whether this is a healthy thing, whether this is not a beneficial thing, and who this benefits, who it doesn't, and there are a lot of opinions going around, and so we here on the Beyond Done podcast wanted to kind of give a little bit of perspective on it because we don't necessarily fall in either of the main established camps. We have a, a bit of a unique take on it. So that's uh, what we are going to be talking about in this conversation today. That being said, I mean, I'm sure you listening, once you hear the concepts, you will have heard of this before, you will maybe uh, be in a camp already. But I do ask that you listen, and I hope that you will enjoy this conversation. All right. Well, welcome back. And I am once again delighted to be joined by the three of you. And this conversation is a little bit more of a timely one than a lot of the other episodes of talks that we've done. There has been this recent phenomenon of uh, of quiet quitting. And so just to make sure that we're kind of all on the same page for the most part of uh, understanding what we're talking about. Uh, Jace, I'll go to you for this definition since we were talking just before we were recording that we think you've probably done the most uh, in-depth research of the of the group of us in terms of what this actually involves and what this looks like. So can you kind of walk us through at least your understanding of uh, what quiet quitting is? Sure, David. I will give the caveat that um, I might have done the most in-depth research, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was very deep. So um, these... Uh, I could probably try to, you know, um and all my way through a an understanding of what quiet quitting is, but I think I'll just let um, uh, someone named Yessi Perez, who's an editor at LinkedIn News, um, I just found this, and it's a kind of just a brief kind of definition, more or less, of of quiet quitting from his perspective. Um, he says, in a nutshell, quiet quitting is about rejecting the notion that work has to take over one's life, and that employees should go above and beyond what their job descriptions entail. So he says, according to Metro, um, another website, this can take many forms, including turning down projects based on interest, refusing to answer your work messages outside of working hours, or simply feeling less invested in the role. So I think in general, kind of what he's getting at um, is this idea that, you know, you can go above and beyond. And I think a lot of people um, who are very passionate about their careers kind of have that kind of a perspective. And um, he's saying now there's a, there's this new trend, I think probably a lot of burnout with the pandemic and remote work and, you know, people trying to kind of get used to that and new things. And he's saying now because of those things, people are getting burnt out and there's a little bit more of a trend towards, um, you know, setting some hard and fast exit times. You know, I, I quit work at five o'clock and after five o'clock, don't ask me to respond to an email or a Slack message. Don't call me. I'm not going to be working, you know, on extra projects over the weekend. I'm just going to basically come in and do 
what you're paying me for and really nothing less. So I think that's kind of the the ethos behind the term quiet quitting. Um, I'm sure there's other people, um, other researchers and whatnot um, who've done a lot more work on that who could probably give a little bit more nuance. And But that's kind of the definition that I um, understand. And um, so I think that's probably a, a useful definition and understanding for kind of our, our purposes today. Not to oversimplify it, Jace, but is that kind of like, you know, I think quiet quitting, I feel like almost a, a quiet resignation in protest. And I think the definition we read said it's not about actually quitting. So quiet quitting is really, I'm only working nine to five. But if quiet quitting is a return to a nine to five work day. Is, is that an over, is, is that missing some nuance or is that a? No, statement? I think that that's actually pretty, pretty accurate as a, as a simplification. Um, I think the idea of quiet quitting, like you said, resignation, the idea here is not that you're quitting your job, but that you are pulling back, um, kind of back to the original boundaries or the original parameters that you had at the beginning. Um, so maybe that's a better way of, of kind of describing it. Um, but yeah, I think your simple definition of I'm working nine to five and I'm doing what you're paying me for that's in my job description. And beyond that, I'm not going to get involved. I think that's probably a, a great way to. So it's work without the above and beyond. It's nine to five, no overtime yeah. kind of deal. I think, yeah, no overtime in a time management sense, but I think also maybe in some cases also more of a um, mindset as well, where I'm going to work nine to five, or nine to five, but I'm not going to go above and beyond either in terms of spending more time working or just going above and beyond the duties that have been assigned to me. So now that, now that we've kind of gained a little bit more of an understanding, I'd just love to get some just initial thoughts from each of you on what you think might be some of the some of the causes behind this trend and just sort of your initial thoughts and reactions to the fact that this is becoming something that is a more recognized occurrence that is happening and especially from the perspective of a lot of employers, a big issue for them. I'll jump in here, David, for a sec. I was just a, a day or two ago having a conversation with some friends about higher levels of depression and mental health issues and different things in younger generations. And so that's obviously much bigger than and outside of this particular issue. But I think it is interesting um, that there are there are some correlations and we were talking about the the trend of trying to trying to find meaning in so many different things, almost like you know playing a, a game of existential whack-a-mole that you're trying to to find something to ground yourself and to give yourself meaning and if you don't have a deeper sense of why you're here and and who you are then you're going to try and find those things in different uh different elements different priorities different values and i think we see that generationally too we also see a lot of pushback generation to generation in terms of you know this generation really prioritized this well that didn't work for them so let me try the opposite oh that doesn't work so the next generation tries something different and there's kind of some some pushback in there too but on this note it's it's an interesting trend following so much the whole you know instagram work from the beach do whatever you want find something that gives you meaning like there was i think a, a large number of the of young adults who sought to find meaning in work and and you know still do and finding that that doesn't work either. Do I think that's the only thing behind this? Not remotely, but I do think it's an interesting um, it's an interesting correlation to everything that's going on with this. If you find that you want 
meaning and work and it doesn't provide, then naturally you're going to kick back and say, okay, well, that didn't work. Let me try and find something else. So that may be part of it. Um, just kind of an interesting side tangent that we felt like tied into this. Yeah, I would agree with that, Victoria. A couple of things. Um, first of all, just as a note, um, more of a housekeeping note, I, I just did a quick Google search and I realized that the Mr. Perez that I quoted earlier is actually a Ms. Perez. So I want to set the record straight on that um, for anyone listening who's fact checking us. Um, but then to your question, David, um, I think the the pandemic, you know, obviously had a lot of people working remotely and kind of transitioning to working at home or working remotely when they had been working in an office. And I think just the nature of that work um, has, there's been a transition there and there's been a lot of burnout where um, people have all of a sudden found that they're working and living in the 21st century where you do have the ability to really work anytime and anywhere you want to. And so they're kind of trying to, to wrestle with that and to kind of realign um, some priorities and some um, habits with that, whereas they were kind of thrust into it by by necessity um, during the pandemic, and they didn't really have time to make some really conscious choices about how to implement that transition. Now they're kind of going, okay, while I was thrust into this, I didn't ever have the chance to actually optimize my work environment. And now I'm beginning to realize that I'm kind of a, a slave to the phone. I'm a slave to the email. I'm I'm kind of chained to that. And I can't um, mentally kind of step out where I used to be able to, I had a commute to and from the office where I could kind of decompress and leave work at work. And now I think now that work has kind of become for a lot of people, at least in the, in the knowledge economy has become something that, you know, you can do anywhere, um, at any time people are kind of struggling to, um, I think catch up to, um, let their habits and mindset catch up to that. So that might also be kind of an underlying cause. I'm going to take the grumpy old person's uh, kind of take on this. And uh, I'm like listening to this and looking up some of this stuff. And this is a bit of a new term to me. So I had to do some really fast research on it as well. And um, I wonder if this is something a little different, which is you have a bunch of people. So so the idea, uh, what was the Gallup poll that we quoted before we started recording? Some like Gallup reports that 50% of people are quiet quitting at work or something like that. Here, here's the part that I don't believe. 50% of people are working. <laughs> that, that sounds like a, okay, like that sounds like a really high level to me, right? That implies that 50% of American workers are going above and beyond. I think they're going above and beyond. I just don't think that that exists in reality in any of my work experience, um, nor to take a look at how people love to complain about the people that don't work. Is that likely to have been the experience at any single point in time? And so here, here's an alternative argument. Here's the alternative argument is nobody was doing any work. That everybody was in an office basically goofing off at the water cooler. And that, you know, a nine to five job got you very little work done, but you could feel like you were doing work. And if you stayed later, you could get credit for staying later and doing work because it looked like you were doing a bunch of stuff by sitting at the office. And then you could go home and you could convince yourself that you weren't working anymore. So you didn't have to work. And then you had to come home to work. And when you came home to work, you were measured by productivity instead of your time sitting at a desk. And all of a sudden, people discovered their productivity was junk, like they were getting nothing done. And so in order to get things done, they had to actually concentrate and really put in the the hours and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, they couldn't get away from it. And now they're annoyed. And so at some level, people are annoyed because they have to work. 
And I know that sounds grumpy, but I just, I work with incredibly hardworking people. Um, and I, and I'm, you know, that's not flattery because we're all sitting here in the podcast and, and work underneath the same banner. I, you know, we get way more done than almost anybody else and certainly disproportionate amount of stuff done by our size. And I totally understand why that is. But I have a very unusual situation that in the first time in my life, I feel like I work with a team of people that almost entirely actually work. And I don't care how many hours they put in and whether it's before or after nine to five. I just know that they're results-driven, oriented people and they get a lot done. And every other place I've ever worked, there was a few people like that. They quickly got recognized. And most people are just fiddling around. <laughs> they're not, And they're not bad people. They, they think they're working. They're not deliberately trying to be lazy. They're, they're not being antagonistic or insubordinate. Uh, they just think they're working when really they're just checking email or pushing papers around or run around to meetings or or talking to people. And then they say, I had a really long day. And you say, what they do? And they don't know what they did. Um, so I'm wondering if quiet quitting is actually a little bit of a different thing where it's actually people recognizing that they weren't nearly as productive as they thought they were and now kind of getting exposed and now getting a little grumpy about it. So, but that's just the grumpy side of me. Hmm. Yeah, that that's an interesting thought that uh, that kind of combines with one that I was thinking of in that um, employers very much uh, in the pandemic had to adjust the work expectations of their employees to having to move them all to remote for quite some time. And so there was a lot of flux in figuring out how much work can people actually get done at home because there were some companies that uh, swung one way and assigned people way too much work while they were at home and ended up having a bad balance. But from what I understand, a lot more companies and a lot more employees realized, wait a minute, I can get a lot more done at home than I thought that I could because I'm actually in an environment where like I can actually be a lot more productive and I can be I can have a lot better balance of that and then companies started realizing this however and employees started writing their LinkedIn posts about this and, and companies started realizing okay wait a minute employees are actually having a lot more time in their day we can use that let's figure out how we can make the best use of our employees who are able to be more productive at home and have started to increase the demands so this is not something that I have any evidence to back up whatsoever but that's just a thought that I had uh, when you we're talking about this that could be a result. Yeah, but I'm still not that optimistic. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that I think that it exposes leaders on the other side. Like, so we're just talking about workers and they got exposed for not working. You know, what gets even worse exposed is leaders who don't know how to lead. And, and, I, and I'm saying this to somebody who's had this problem and finds this a constant struggle. Yeah. So, so let me run the scenario by you and see if this sounds familiar to anybody or who's listening, or if it doesn't, I'm just telling you this is the way it often works, right? So a boss is somebody in a company who talks better than everybody else or who actually did work and get some productivity or has some great timing, right? And so the, there's, I think there's a, there's a cynical thing called the Peter principle. And I can't remember why it's called that, but you know, everybody level, raises the level of their um, inability or something like that. And so, so basically what happens is people get elevated, right? And so then the boss comes in and they compensate by, you know, telling people what to do and then working at longer hours and looking like they're working hard and everybody else. But they've rarely had to like actually stop and think what they're doing and what kind of productivity they're actually trying to get. 
And so when people all went home, companies by and large had a bunch of managers who compensated for work at home by doing things like monitoring how many how much time people were on their cameras or on meetings or on their keyboard or logged in and all these kinds of things. So they metricized the living daylights out of things like a la Amazon. And so now they're like thinking they can break down these data and stuff like that. But, and, and I'm a little bit salty about this, so hang with me for a second. But, but to me, what just frustrates the living daylights out of me about that is that that's when you get that sort of data set and you get all this data comes in, it just fuels incompetent managers who push paper around or or in this case, push cells around on a spreadsheet, right? So basically what they do is it gives them a whole, it gives them ammunition and it feeds the beast to be able to say like, oh, now I can do even more work and I can say I'm more productive because look at this. There is 10% of everybody's day that's not optimized. We will optimize that 10% of everybody's day by putting tracking cameras in the software and by you know, screaming and yelling and firing people who don't actually sit and work during those 10%. Here's what's absent. They're not typically taking the time to sit down and say, what are we actually trying to accomplish? What is the point of our business? What is it that our clients need? And what is the role that we're playing in our department of these individuals to actually move that forward? And now let me measure productivity by those kinds of things. And now let me get people be humans, not numbers, not cells and Excel sheets, not papers to be pushed around a desk, not units, not human resources. Don't even get me started in that term. Uh, not human resources, right? Instead, people who are solving problems because we're in a knowledge economy. And you say, this is our problem, go solve it. And if you solve it in two hours, great. And if you solve it in 20 hours, well, maybe we'll have to make some adjustments to that if it takes it 20 hours to do it all the time. But the point is about solving problems, not about measuring productivity units. And so anyhow, if, if, if those two storms come together and you got management that can't manage and now they compensate by managing by creating more oversight and more intrusion and more metrics and more data points. And then you got employees going, man, I got exposed for not being able to work. And now they're breathing down my neck and they're forcing me to work, but I'm still not exactly sure how to be productive. It seems unsurprising to me that you have a crisis. What seems surprising is we might actually have 50% of people that are working. I think that's probably too high. So. Well, and a slightly different angle on that too is that transition is, changes by nature difficult for any kind of established system. For better or worse, I tend to argue that change is typically good, but that doesn't make it easy. And so you're talking about, you know, even just in the last few years, there's so many major changes that have taken place in that even just the technology of how we work and, and, you know, the pandemic and all this stuff. And so I wonder if part of this maybe is more of a knee jerk reaction to like, we're, we're trying to use outdated methods to solve a problem, but they're not going to fit. Like those puzzle pieces don't fit in the box anymore. And so we're trying to, you know, old metrics, uh, maybe they worked 75 years ago when you had a factory and you had, you know, productivity a certain way and certain number of hours and certain number of units that needed to come out at the end of the day, but that's not how things work anymore. And yet I'm not, not convinced that our, in, in this case, our management techniques, but it, we haven't changed our game so much. And so that's maybe an interesting challenge for, for anybody too, is as we face changes and as things get difficult and we, we come up with situations like this, what's actually at the heart of the thing and what's going to move the needle one way or the other? Are we actually hitting what's, what's deep, deeply going on underneath the surface? Um, and are, are there other things that we need to change in response to the change? Something that I'm kind of hearing both of you guys say is, is that time spent 
working should not be as important to us now as it was 50 years ago. Um, where I think, you know, 50 years ago or even, you know, 50 years ago, but when, when time spent working meant more output, um, you know, obviously, yeah, you wanted to work eight or nine hours a day. You wanted your employees, if you're the, the boss to be working eight or nine hours a day, because if they only worked four, you were getting half of the results you would, if they were working eight or nine, um, I think now we are living in a, in a kind of environment, an economy where you can get eight hours worth of results in two hours if you use those two hours really wisely. And so it's more about the output and the results that it, and, it, and it's not tied directly to time. But we still have, this is what I'm hearing you say, Victoria, we still have that time-based mindset. And so you know, like you're saying, um, Jonathan, you know, these managers are trying to find a way to optimize time. They're trying to find a way to, you know, oh, okay, we have, um, you know, you know, an hour or two hours of our employees day that's not being used. How do we use that? How do we, um, you know, micromanage that time? And instead you should be looking at, okay, what is this employee producing? And is that production, is that result moving our goals forward? I know that's an entirely different way of, of viewing it um, rather than I think how it's been viewed for probably much of history. I think there's a really interesting, I think that's right, Jason. I think there's a really interesting question here that gets much deeper at the heart of what it means to work and to be productive. Uh, there's a fascinating kind of confluence of things and ideas and stories here that I want to share with you. So I have a friend who's, grandfather is 90 plus years old and his grandfather remembers when his grandfather got his first tractor so grew up on a farm gets a tractor and so it was very exciting and he said you know we're replacing the horses and you know all the efficiencies that come with this and all this and his grandfather said there's something that bothers me about this machine and this guy said well what is it and he said that tractor has headlights now i just Ponder that for a moment. This man was wise enough to say, I've never worked my fields after dark because that was an impossibility. Technology did not allow me to do so. And so for my entire farming life, I've managed to get all my work done and know that when it got dark, whether it was done or whether it was not, the horses went in the barn and I rested. And now my tractor has headlights and that excuse is gone. And pretty soon it's going to be standard for everybody to be out here cruising around their fields after dark. Now, I go to church with a lot of farmers, and I was just having conversations with them recently, and they all had stories of bailing hay at 2 o'clock in the morning. Take that now and contrast something else. The Amish community still, by and large, makes their money through farming, and they still do it with horses. And they still are able to pay their bills and support their families. And so there's an interesting thing that's happened. A modern farmer thinks it's absolutely impossible to be able to run a farm without massive equipment and big searchlights and hours that go on forever. And yet in the same neighborhoods, there are other farmers who still manage to feed their families and be economically viable and don't do any of those things. But they have had to change. They have had to find different markets and they have had to do things. Like there is a, there is a substantial difference between the two. But the point is that human innovation has closed that. But if we just follow the technology, 
we will follow that and race to a an ever dwindling set of returns on maximizing every minute because we have back to my earlier argument just like managers we have not taken the time to back up and ask what are we really working for what is the outcome we're trying to produce and absent that clarity the only viable answer is more productivity because more productivity puts up a smokescreen to obscure the fact that we don't know what the heck we're doing and we hope it's a smokescreen that'll be enough to cover us from a higher boss or a board or our shareholders or sometimes even the consumers themselves because we're working we're working really hard we're doing the best we can we're putting all the hours in we're working we're working we're working we're working right yeah but do we know why do we know what we're doing it for and to Jason's point you know I, here's an argument that I use with our staff if if we primarily produce educational content do we get better quality content by working 90 hours a week to produce content and the answer is occasionally i mean occasionally it's necessary for us to put in crazy hours especially for a live event we put in really insane hours to get stuff done and and david's gone days on end without sleeping to get stuff done the technical side of things right but but if we're going to produce really great technical great educational content what we probably ought to be doing is we ought to be reducing everybody's actual hours working because great educational content doesn't come from within. We would just get really good teaching the same content that we know. It has to come from without. Without means that we have to have the ability and the time to get better experiences. So probably the best thing for us to be working towards is if we're only putting in like 20 or 15 hours of work of actual work, and the rest of that time was spent doing all kinds of other things, leading other things, working in our community, reading books, serving our churches, parenting our children, loving our spouses, all those kinds of things, right? And then all those experiences, we come back and then we take the 15, 20 hours to synthesize that and turn it into the things that actually helps teach other people. But if we don't do those things, we'll eventually wear ourselves out and then we'll be teaching all from the inside, right? We'll, be, we'll have no new content and we'll spend faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and poof and a puff of smoke will be gone. And so, but that requires us to constantly be thinking about what are we doing it for? And that is a really hard thing to do. Many people won't do it. And if you don't, you eventually get to the point where you're just like, I, I don't, quiet quitting at some level is saying, I don't even care. This isn't important. I'm just gonna do the bare minimum to get my paycheck, which is basically the essence of somebody's checked out because they have no idea how what they do connects to anything bigger in mm -hmm. life. This reminds me of, a conversation that we had on a Be Unbound podcast episode, I believe it was one season one or two. So if you're really adventurous, you could go back and try and track it down. Um, but we were talking about kind of this idea that and I think it was an Abraham Lincoln quote of, you know, if you gave me an hour to chop down a tree or whatever, um, then I would spend the first 45 minutes sharpening my axe or something to that effect. And I think we were talking about it in that in this kind of um, context where you're talking about, um, you know, rather than spending an hour chopping because you think that that's what you're paid to do is to, um, think about what's the end result that I need to deliver. And then what's the best delivery that I can actually make on that result. And if that actually involves me taking an afternoon off and going and hiking and thinking about something and really wrestling through something mentally so I can come back and, you know, either write a better article or, um, you know, code a better application or whatever the case may be, whatever you end up doing. Um, then I think we need to have the ability to kind of let ourselves do that and to think through that and to think of it as sharpening our ax before cutting into that tree. 
Hello, listeners. Quick interruption to this conversation about quiet quitting to dive more into yeah some of the considerations that you might have while thinking of discipline, organizing your life. You might be looking at the Ascend program. We highly recommend it. However, if you are looking for something that is a little shorter, a little more, uh, dare I say, manageable, look into Ascend Semester. This is a shorter program within Ascend where you get many of the perks with Ascend, the three-year program. You have uh, Ascend team. You have monthly webinars. You get to go to one of our national events. You uh, begin your online courses and earn credit all within a much shorter, smaller package. If you want to learn more, go to beunbound.us slash semester. Once again, you can learn much more, get many of your frequently asked questions on the website, beunbound.us slash semester. Now, back to the episode. So I'm hearing several really interesting threads that uh, I'll kind of attempt to look at here and then we can uh, continue. I have a, another thought off of that. So for one, I'm hearing that we are having to, or we're dealing with a workforce that does not quite realize that time put in does not necessarily equate to better work results. Time does not equal more time does not equal better results. The those two things are not necessarily linked in a lot of today's work. Uh, for another thing, it seems like there is at least in a lot of companies a lack of vision, a lack of being able to actually connect what people are doing on the day-to-day to what the purpose actually is, what the better work actually looks like. And it also just sounded like there's just because of that, to an extent, there's a lack of trust in, between the people who are doing the work and the people who are assigning the work. Uh, it's kind of back to well, your earlier point, Jonathan, where you have managers who aren't going and thinking about why, why are we doing what we're doing? And you have employees who are saying, well, I'm just I'm just checked out. And so I'm not going to do the work. And then this causes this tension in between the two. And so it seems as though there's this, uh, there's needs to be a complete systematic change in how we think about work now. And, and just being bold enough and seek clarity um, to look at why are we working, right? Uh, so, so two, two thoughts maybe to run here and direct answer to your question, David, is I think that there's a, a need to understand what work is for. And as we were sharing before we started this podcast, I think that we fall off the horse both ways. People think it's worth everything or it's worth nothing. And so you'll find people that are, you know, we'll call them workaholics or career climbers or ladder climbers or whatever, who have basically said work is more important. My status and everything that I derive from work is the most important thing in my life. And we all sort of inevitably know they're going for a crash, right? You know, we say things like, you know, it's not what you did. It's you, blah, blah, blah. Went at your funeral, nobody remember how many hours you spent at the office. We say all these things because instinctively we know that doesn't make sense. But yet there's this other one, and maybe they're the quiet quitters who say, I ain't working for the man. I'm not doing this anymore. This doesn't matter. This doesn't care. I'm living for the weekend. I'm living for the evenings, and I'm putting in my time until I get my gold watch and I retire at 65. Well, that's a horrific way to look at how you spend the majority of your day, even if you're just doing 95, 9 to 5, right? And so instead, I think that there's an importance to say, well, what is work for? Well, work is for you to create value in the world, and, and that there's only value that you can create. And is for you to provide for the ones that you need to take care of. And, and when you do that, it's not the top priority, but it's not the bottom one either. Uh, you know, so in my world, 
my relationship with God is most important. And then taking care of my family is most important. And if you listen to our podcast recently on local community, we talked about the proximity principle, about the people that are closest to you. And look, uh, in, in order for me to serve God, I need to create value. I'm made in God's image. I'm a creator, like God was a creator. And so I'm called to create value in the world. And so my work, what I do with my day, how I create value for other people is part of the actual work that God has called me to. That's part of the restorative work I do in the world. Uh, there was a creation, a fall, a redemption, and, and, and now there's a restoration. And I'm called to be part of the restoration. And that means that my actual day-to-day -day work needs to be some sort of restorative, create value in the world type of work. And doing that is what creates value for my family, takes care of them. and so. It's, you know, I can't say, well, this is terrible and unimportant and I haven't paid attention to it. No, it's very important. It's the, it's the mechanism for me to take care of the people closest to me. And it is the, the way that I spend the majority of my time serving my God. And it puts me in proximity to other people that I can share the gospel with and be as Christ to, uh, but also that part of creating value is an important piece of that. So yeah, it's important, but it's not as important as serving God and it's not important as taking care of my family. And there'll be times when, because it's important, I'll have to work 90 hours because that's what's necessary to do what has to be done. But then there's a point where I have to say, if I continue to do that, I'm going to violate um, serving God and taking care of my family. And so I don't know about work and life balance. It's not some sort of, you know, pivot point that you get on and you get to stay forever. Instead, it's a constant negotiation of asking and it, and it requires sort of thinking about, um, am I doing, you know, do I understand what I'm doing this for and why I'm doing it? And do I have that correct for now to the best of my ability? And here's a hard answer. You never will. <laughs> You'll always be overcompensating. And the point is not to find that you're going to find some utopian perfect perfection. The point is to constantly be honing that and getting better and better at it. And, you know, most people, it takes practice. It might take years of practice before you get to the point. And is it in the process as you do that, you're building skill and experience that allow you to be better at that. Um, I, I used to play racquetball with a guy when I worked for the college. And um, I don't know how old Dr. Shively was at the time I was playing racquetball. He's definitely in his 70s. And so it was hilarious. My friend and I actually we played for him before I graduated. So we are running cross country. We're extremely fit. Uh, we're in the prime of our life. And we're going to play cutthroat, which is, you know, everybody scores their own, but then it's two people against the person serving when you play racquetball. And so we're expending all this energy. We are gasping for breath. Sweat is dripping from our, our, our nose. We're flying all over the court and we're getting destroyed by this dude that can't run. He's just tottering around the court. It's absolutely embarrassing. Uh, and what's happening is that it's a lifetime of experience. When that ball came back to our racket, Dr. Shively knew where the ball was going to land before we hit it. And he was already tottering off to that corner of the court. And then when he got it, he would just dink it and it would fall in the corner and die in a spin right there and, it got, and almost impossible to return. And he just cleaned Luke and I up. We, we, we just got trounced, right? And as you know, we weren't super experienced racquetball players. Clearly, if you know, we've been expert racquetball players and had better fitness, we could beat him. But what's happening here is that here's a man who has, you know, spent an early part of his year running around a court really fast, who now can spend the latter part of his years walking around a court, taking only the shots that matter and be able to win. And, and that's, you know, that's what happens. You spend part of your life running around like crazy until you start to figure things out. And then you're able to, you know, dial and readjust that as you're now able to figure out where I have to put in the effort to get the results. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a really great example. 
So I think uh, just a good way to wrap up this discussion, I'd, uh, I'd love to hear uh, each of your perspectives on uh, what you might say to someone, um, if, if, say you can take either approach, if, uh, if someone is an employer, like a manager in a corporation who's seeing this trend and is concerned about it, or if someone is, uh, is an employee who feels as though this might start to be them, they might start to feel this uh, need to participate in quiet quitting. Uh, what, what would you say to, uh, to someone who might find themselves in that situation? Well, David, I would start with um, the employee because I think I would have the most relevant experience in speaking to them. And I think what I would say is that, you know, we talk about, you know, we mentioned this a lot in this podcast and Unbounded General is just, you know, you have an unfair advantage by being able to go above and beyond in, you know, the jobs now that you have, you're going to stand out and all this kind of stuff. And um, I don't think that that um, necessarily excludes boundaries um, in work. So this whole idea of quiet quitting, it's kind of this, okay, I'm going to do just what I need to and nothing more. And I think sometimes we think, okay, then the other alternative to that then is taking any project that is asked of me, you know, always being on call, always answering emails, you know, late into the night, whenever I see, you know, my, hear my phone buzz, I need to be on it. And I think those are not mutually exclusive, right? Those are not the only two options we have. I think there's a great way, like we were just saying that you can, really, um, go above and beyond and, um, over deliver. I am a huge fan of over delivering, um, on your employer's expectations, but I think that oftentimes that looks like increasing your output and not necessarily doubling down on your input. Um, and so I think that, you know, finding a creative way to over deliver, go ab above and beyond expectations, but do so in such a way that you're not necessarily giving your life to your job or, you know, however you want to phrase it, um, you know, think about that and be creative about that and think, okay, you know, how can I maintain some of these boundaries? How can I continue to um, let my work occupy the correct and appropriate priority and place in my life while at the same time over delivering really being a blessing to my employer going above and beyond his or her expectations and um, you know really standing out um, by by not just coming across and, and giving the the bare minimum so that's what I would say to somebody um, who's maybe feeling like uh, they're a quiet quitter or a soon-to-be quiet quitter I think that's really great advice, Jace. And I might add to that, if you're somebody who's kind of wrestling with that <laughs> desire, for lack of a better word, I would, I would ask why, like what's at the root of the fact that you're kind of wanting to, to follow this trend? Is it because, is it because you just don't care about the kind of work you're doing? Is it because you don't have the level of expertise that you want to be able to feel like you are doing something meaningful? Is it because you don't like the environment? Is it because you have, you know, priorities elsewhere and, and identifying why it is that you don't care in, in that particular way about work, I think would be beneficial in terms of then designing your next steps. And so if it's that you just flat out don't care about the kind of work you're doing, maybe, maybe find a different job, find something that you do care. Is it that you don't resonate with the values? Okay. Maybe you need to have a conversation about that or find something different. Is it that you've been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and not feeling, you know, appreciated and you're just burnt out? Okay. Maybe that's a conversation you need to have, or maybe you need different boundaries. But I think there are changes that you can enact in your life to be able to kind of change some of those elements 
Um, but you have to know what they are in order to be able to do that, which takes a lot of times just sitting down and getting really clear on what's going on beneath the surface for you. And I would agree with all those things and just add this, which is, you know, the, the first, your first job is to prioritize work correctly. So Harkening back to what I said before, it is not the most important thing in your life, but it's certainly not the least important thing in your life. It is a major part of your life. It is how you deliver value in the world, how you connect with other people and how you take care of yourself and the ones closest to you. And so that is a significant task and it's a significant part of why you're here and part of your story. Uh, so from that, then I would then go through and ask, how do I deliver value? And so instead of, you know, defining myself as a quiet quitter, I work nine to five or a not quiet quitter. I don't know what is the opposite of that, a loud stayer. I don't know. Uh, but the, and so I'm going to, you know, work overtime or whatever. But, you know, we, we teach a class to our students called Finding Work That You Love. And in that class, uh, in fact, Victoria and I just taught it uh, maybe last week or the week before last. And we talked about creating value. And we said, here's a set of questions you have to ask. You know, as soon as you get a job, first question, how do I create value for my boss? Uh, somebody hired me. And so how do I make that person's life easier? What, what, what did they hire me for? What responsibilities do they expect me to take care of and what things they expect me to do? And so, you know, first question, how do I create value for my boss? Second question, how do I create value for my coworkers? Uh, we believe strongly in who, not how. Uh, nobody goes it alone. And you're not going to get anything worth done by doing it by yourself. So it's you're going to need a team and you're the leading that team or you are you need to be a leader. We define a leader as somebody who has influence over other people. So you can have influence even with your peers. And so how do you create value for them? That might mean working some overtime and taking some of the load off of them or what is it that they need? And then ultimately, how do I provide value for my clients, uh, my customers? How, what, what is it that we're actually doing that makes a difference in their lives? What is it that we're, what is the, the value being produced by our company? And how does that interact with our clients and customers? And finally, uh, what is the value for the company? Sometimes companies are creating value for the clients that does not ultimately align with the value they need for the company. And, you know, if you're a kind of employer, employee, excuse me, who can ask that question and communicate it well, uh, you can be a really valuable employee. If you're doing those things, quiet quitting is irrelevant. Uh, now you're you're creating real value in the world. You're making a difference. You're likely getting compensated well for it because uh, you become a very valuable employee. Uh, you're fulfilling your mission. Uh, you should be satisfied with that. And you're also gaining skill and experience. And if it turns out you don't like the answers to those questions, you now know it's time for you to adjust and go someplace where you can be comfortable putting in whatever hours are required to deliver that value. And I would just add personally that in many cases, I would say, and the less time it takes you to deliver that value, the better. And I hope you find a company that recognizes that and allows you to then use that extra time to enhance your ability to create values and value in those areas. But it starts with prioritizing why work's important, how it fits in your life, and then how does one actually provide value? And then the quiet quitting becomes irrelevant, in my opinion. You won't be in the 50%. You'll probably be in the like 0.5%. Honestly, I don't feel like this conversation really needs a, really needs a summary because, uh, yeah, I, I feel like we all just kind of did it right there. It's fantastic. Guys, we've arrived. <laughs> we've, so, we, we've out-summarized David. So we have provided significant value in this podcast. I don't know how many hours it took putting into it. We're, at, we're actually a little after five, so we're not quiet quitters. We are loud stayers at this point. So... Well, guys, thank you for listening. For once, David did not give a summary for this episode, but I think you have a pretty good <laughs> summary uh, of this concept of quiet quitting. I hope that this has helped inform you of your own opinions of 
what you think of this subject and uh, that this is something that you can apply to your own life for uh, whether in your own work or school. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining us this week. If you are curious to tune in next week, we will be having an episode of Unbound Pursuits, where we'll be, we'll be having several alumni of our Unbound programs coming in to talk about what they're doing. In this case, we're going to be having accountants come in and share their experiences and how they've gotten started in their careers and how being Unbound has given them a unique perspective and an edge in their careers. Thank you all so much for tuning in and joining us. As always, be unbound. Well, David, thank you as always for uh, a summary at the end. And this is truly I'm a, I'm a, a fascinating stop, I'm a stop discussion. You right there. This is the one episode that I didn't do a summary. Yes. So what happens when you slack off and go shoot a video? <laughs> I don't think that you can count that as slacking off, Abe. Hmm. All right. Let's try this again. <laughs>